this week on the Roommates Podcast? Man, I think it's try to find balance. So if you dedicate yourself too much to one thing for too long, it can get draining. And today more people are talking about burnout than ever. And it's very easy to just run straight into a wall. And I think you should always make time for your well-being, your mental health. Uh, whether that's taking time to meditate every day, 10 minutes, taking 30 minutes to go outside for a jog, a walk, exercise, those things you shouldn't ignore. And that's something that everybody should be focusing and putting a priority on. It's something that I'm trying to get better at every day. And I'm proud of the work I've done over the past year to two years when it comes to not only putting myself into my business, but being able to be okay with not maximizing growth, output, and productivity at every single turn. Yo, what's good, everybody? It's Hafiz. Chris is the show, baby. Yes, and we are back, and we are back. What's up, boy? How you doing, man? Doing good, man. Feeling good. Looking good. <laughs> you know what I mean? What about you? Doing good, feeling good, and I am very, very, very excited about the newest roommate to come on the show. You've been looking forward to it, I've man. I've been looking forward to this guy for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, been watching his videos and listening to his podcast, and I think that a lot of times we always ask the question, who else out there is doing what we're doing? True. We do ask that question a lot. And then we always talk like we're the best. <laughs> and then I finally saw somebody yep. who was doing exactly what we were doing, but a hundred times better. <laughs> Please, guys, welcome to the show, the one, the only, Matt Diavella. Oh, thank you so much. That's like the nicest intro I've ever had. <laughs> yes, yes. No, I, I mean, I mean it. Me and Matt were just riffing earlier, but like I said, I've... I've seen his content. I've I've seen the messages he's giving. Like I think Matt's like the next generation of content creators who start off behind the camera, but have such a powerful message that when they get in front of a camera, they're immediate stars. So I love you, bro. <laughs> Thank you, dude. I love you guys too. I mean, that really means a lot to me. It's like you said. Like I definitely started out behind the camera, and I was probably behind the camera for eight years before I ever put myself on it, and. Uh, I, I've been talking a lot about this with my wife now, just about how difficult that was, especially as I'm hitting a lot of milestones now, like humble brag, just broke a hundred million views, total view wow, on YouTube, which is awesome. mind blowing. But I was like, I was so close to not ever even starting a YouTube channel or starting a podcast because wow. I had so much doubt before I got into it. Mm. Because like, while I was confident that I was a pretty good filmmaker, putting myself on camera, like mm. letting my ideas be judged by other people, putting myself out there was really, really uncomfortable. So it took a while before I was finally ready to actually pull the trigger and do something about it. Well, we are glad that yes. you did. <laughs> Thank so, you. So for the people who don't know who you are, can you give them a bit of an elevator pitch so not just about who you are, what you do, and all that good stuff? Yeah, sure. So my name's Matthew Vella. I'm a documentary filmmaker first. Uh, that's really how I got started in, in uh, filmmaking in general. Uh, actually made a, like a lot of sketch videos early on, probably around, oh man, this is like 2010-ish. Vine videos? Uh, not sketch? even Vine videos. This is like the dawn of like YouTube. Even. I would oh, say like okay. 2006 to 2010 is when I got started making films. Okay. Um, but I'm now I make YouTube videos primarily. I think that's what most people know me for is my YouTube channel. I also make podcasts and still do uh, feature-length documentaries every few years when I've got the time for it. Yeah, I remember I um, saw your first documentary, The Minimalist Documentary, and I absolutely loved the work that you did on that documentary. And I... I'm here in the, in the minimalist home. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's know? funny. When you walked into yeah. the apartment, it didn't feel very minimalist. Yeah, my yeah, wife's yeah. like blowing up inflatable, yeah, uh, yeah. not inflatable dolls, I want to say, yeah. inflatable uh, pool toys. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. so. She's going on vacation. So she's my yin and yang. That's the balance of our lives. How does that work out? Oh, man. Oh, man, it works out really, really well, surprisingly. I mean, for us, we're just so compatible with our personalities, even though we have different personalities. Um, I think that's what you're looking for in a relationship is somebody that connects and clicks with you, somebody who you, who you can make fun of and get made fun of and your feelings aren't going to be hurt. I think we riff very well. There's not a day that goes by where we don't try to make each other laugh. Um, but I'm a minimalist. She's not a minimalist. Um, but that said, I think over the past five years of our relationship, we do tend to like 
pull from each other, inspiration from each other's lives. So I'm not going to try to tell her how she should live her life. Same with me. But naturally, when you live together and you're so close, you're going to pull inspiration from each other. Mm, so I you do it. hoard some things. I mean, I got stuff, man. Like I'm not trying to lie. Like you seen my gear closet? Like I have tons of camera gear. Um, I probably have more stuff than my wife does. But uh, because like when you take into account all the gear that I've had and collected over the years, but everything's got a purpose. I'm intentional with everything that I own, and uh, so yeah, I, I do have a lot of stuff. But yeah. it all gets used. That's you awesome. So. You have a very, very awesome podcast called The Ground Up Podcast, and we're actually kind of in the midst of rebranding our own podcast. And mm-hmm. I was like, dude, his name is so perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just take that name. Yeah, yeah, just take it. <laughs> but, um, and so one of the things I love that you do is that you go to these different leaders, creatives, all these different people, and you talk to them about their journey, about the story of how they got from zero to 100. Because a lot of times you're able to see in life the end result of the hero's journey, but you don't see, okay, what exactly led somebody to get to the end destination. So for the people who are curious about your journey, can you give them a bit of a background on about your journey? How did you get from, you know, living in New York City, being a you know broke college student to having one of the most prominent and growing YouTube channels in, in the world? Like, Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Yeah. And it's, a, it's a long answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll do my best and, and feel free to cut me off if you have uh, any questions along the way. But So I, I got started out as a filmmaker in high school. Like It was the first thing that I really was passionate about that you couldn't stop me from doing, that you didn't have to force me to do. A lot of times in high school, like you're taking these math classes and science classes, things that you feel like you have to do. But video was just, I mean, I was lucky enough to have a great broadcast television classes in my high school. So I just poured myself into it. I took every class they had. And then when I wasn't in class, I would be during study hall, during lunch, just working and making videos. So that was like the one thing that I was really good at that really like my skills built very quickly so from high school uh, i continued to do that in college i actually went to bloomsburg university eventually transferred to temple university doing broadcast telecommunications and the one thing that i always tell people is don't wait for a syllabus to tell you what to do don't wait for a teacher or professor to tell you what you should be learning what you should be doing you should be driven outside of that and i quickly saw that like my first school that i went to was very small and in my, my freshman year, a senior came up to me and he's like, man, like, you're, like your videos are really good. If you really want to grow and you know, learn as a filmmaker and improve, you probably want to transfer from this school because you're not going to learn a lot from it. But then to my surprise, the next school I went to was very similar. Like people weren't, even though it was a bigger school, there was a lot more people, there were maybe better classes, people weren't any more talented or skilled than the previous school I'd gone to. Uh, the only difference that I saw was the people that really pushed themselves outside of the classroom, that tried to experiment with filmmaking, that went out and bought even a cheap camera. Um, I mean, obviously these days you can film an amazing video with an iPhone, but back then it was like, you couldn't film like on a flip phone. It wasn't yeah. going to be like, it was going to be potato quality. So I just got like so passionate about filmmaking. One of the first videos I did that actually made an impact was a parody rap video. And you guys can make fun of me, but this was like back when parody rap videos on YouTube were just getting started at, back in 2007 or so. And I ended up getting, my brother and I made the video together. I shot and edited it. And then I got, sued by the grocery store we filmed the video in oh wow for seven million dollars huh <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that was the first time like maybe a hundred thousand two hundred thousand people saw that a, a video that i made it was equally exciting as well as terrifying because we were already broke college students we were already lined up to have a hundred thousand dollars worth of student debt um but then you know, it's a long, long story, but basically we worked through it over the course of a year where we eventually were able to get the lawsuit dropped. But basically the company, uh, which is now bankrupt, it's uh, A&P or Superfresh, a very massive conglomerate grocery chain in America. Um, they've since gone out of business, but they had sued us for defamation for like using their grocery store, wearing mm. like their they hats in the videos. They needed that money. Exactly. So it didn't work out for them, yeah. but that, that process taught me a lot about one, just being like 
making sure I really think through my videos before I publish them and ha- knowing that there may be consequences outside of my control. So really believing in what I'm making. Uh, and then it just taught me that like, if I put my ideas out there and if I really uh, am passionate about what I do, I can make an impact. Uh, but it was years and years before I started to make money as a filmmaker. Later on in college, I started making money as a freelance independent filmmaker. I made um, mostly, I worked with brands and, and startups, tech companies. I did lots and lots of weddings. I probably did two, three dozen weddings, mm. bar mitzvah intro videos, which is like before the kid comes out for his bar mitzvah, yeah. he'd be like playing basketball and like dunking on like yeah. dudes that are like seven yeah. foot tall. <laughs> yeah. um, but it was like fun. And I just put myself into every video that I made. And I didn't say like, oh, it's just a bar mitzvah video. So I'm not going to try. I was just like, I really love filmmaking. Let me try to elevate each video that I make. And of course, there were videos that were not as fun and were more corporate, but just always trying to deliver and add value to the clients that I had. And then it was a process of, of getting better at that. I did graduate college in 2010 with $100,000 in student loan debt. Ooh, mm, and mm. luckily wasn't getting sued for $7 million <laughs> oh, at the time. Yeah, yeah. But, I, but I, I was in debt, $100,000, and I did the smartest thing I could think of, which was to buy a brand new car. So mm. now I'm intelligent. Like, I know, right? Yeah, yeah. I took a lot of bad advice in those <laughs> yeah, early yeah. days. So it was like $120,000 in debt. I'm living in my parents' basement, and I just felt like a failure. I felt like uh, nothing was lining up because I wasn't making any money through my business. I had to borrow 30 bucks from my mom because my bank account had overdrawn. And at that point, I'd moved into my parents' basement and just kind of like looking at my life and just feeling kind of disappointed about the direction it was heading. I felt like a failure, and I felt like I needed all this stuff to prove to everybody and myself that I was successful. And that's when I found this thing called minimalism. I was just like watching MTV late at night and I saw this interview with Carson Daly and Tom Shadiak. Tom Shadiak, if you don't know, is like one of the like greatest Hollywood comedy directors. Uh, did so many films with Jim Carrey and other like massive movies uh, from back in the day. And he basically was telling his story about how he got everything he thought he was supposed to want and need and he wasn't happy. He moved into the 10,000 square foot man- mansion and it felt empty. And then it made me, and then he decided to get rid of everything and move into a trailer park in Malibu. And I was like, that's insane. Like, that's this guy's wild. a multimillionaire. He got rid of most of his money that's and crazy. lived in a trailer park. It just blew my mind because I had never seen that template. I never knew that that was something that you could do. And then me, like, uh, like looking back at that version of myself that was pitying my situation and was upset. I realized I actually had a lot to be thankful for. I had a family that supported me. I have friends that made me laugh. Um, I, I didn't have a ton of money, but I had a lot of potential in my skills and in a career that I could build for myself. So while I knew I still wanted to continue to grow, I chose in that moment that I didn't have to wait until a future hypothetical moment to be happy. I could be happy with what I have and I could still be driven for creating a better future. And then that's where like my life completely changed. And that like led me down this winding rabbit hole of creating the feature length documentary minimalism, of starting a YouTube channel and a podcast, and continually along each step of the way, pushing myself to do things that just absolutely scare the shit out of me. Mm. Because it's so easy to kind of flinch and, and pull back when we're making these big life changes. Uh, but as I've learned, as I continue to push myself into these uncomfortable situations, that's when I grow the most. One thing you said earlier that was really interesting, and thank you for sharing, by the way, um, is that you were behind the film, behind the camera, and now you got in front of it. Mm-hmm. And with all the things that you learned from behind the camera, do you think that helped you with you and your success today in front of the camera? I think 100%. Because I would actually say that I am not that great on camera. I'm just very good at editing. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm sure as you guys know, like it takes... A lot of filming, I mean, the whole process of, of minimalism and, and living a simple life is you start with a lot and you have to weed down and try to figure out what is essential for your life. And that's what I do with every video I make. Like, I start out by writing a lot and trying to figure out, okay, now how do I weed this down to tell the most concise, interesting story? And it doesn't always mean, you know, you try to think about what's going to add the most value, but it's also like, what's going to be entertaining? What's going to be funny? Is this joke taking it too far? Have I joked too much in this video? Do I need to actually add some, uh, some real value? So it's overthinking in a very good way every element that goes into the videos. I think my experience as a filmmaker uh, 
has completely helped me because I know what I need to get when I'm shooting. I like having edited hundreds and hundreds of videos, I know when I've got the take and when I need to maybe redo something or I mean I just overshoot the shit out of everything mm-hmm. I do. Like it's not very minimalist in terms of how much mm-hmm. content I film. Because I know that when I'm in the editing room and I'm chopping together the video, I want to have options. And I want to make sure that I make the best video I can. The beautiful thing is that I set a constraint on myself where I have to make a video every single week. So there's that natural barrier to prevent myself from being too much of a perfectionist. Exactly. Because like, yeah, if I could just keep shooting all day and I could shoot for the next month to make the best video I've ever made, but most people won't notice the actual difference. Mm. So... You did a documentary, the minimalist documentary, and then afterwards, then you decided to start your podcast. Mm-hmm. And you know, we've been in the podcast game for about three years. We've been doing it for like th- three years or two, three years similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I think I started probably three years ago. Yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, as you know, like the journey is so so difficult, right? And a lot of people give up. A lot of people stop. It's just very painful. Like. What do you think was, did you ever get to a breaking point where you were like, man, I, I feel like I'm done with this podcast? And then what was the time in which like you saw the podcast become successful? Like what was that kind of like big break moment in your podcast? Yeah. So uh, just for like the full clarity of the story, I had released minimalism. At that point, I had paid off a majority of my student loans. I probably had paid off about 90% of it. So I had That's awesome. maybe, yeah. yeah, like that was like my main driver in life at that time. Like anybody that I talked to knew that I was in debt because it was like, it was a weight on my shoulders, but it was also just something that I was just so driven to pay off that I knew I would have so much freedom when I was able to pay it off. I'd have freedom to move wherever I wanted, move across the country if I needed to, to say no to projects, which as a freelancer, and even as a a creative or creating original content, having the option to say no is the most powerful thing and it allows you so much freedom. So uh, I had paid off a lot of my debt. Minimalism did well. We made a great profit from that. And it gave me a bit of runway to be able to, and, and a privilege to be able to step back and say like, wow, okay, like that worked. <laughs> First of all, I cannot believe that actually worked yeah. because it was minimalism was just myself shooting and editing 99% of that documentary. Mm. We never expected it to get on Netflix, let alone make the money, the $50,000 we put into it back, um, let alone make a profit on top of that. But then we made a decent profit from it. So I had this amazing opportunity to say, what next? What should I do now? and literally limitless opportunities. And I think it was the fact that I was interested in listening to podcasts. I I listened to Tim Ferriss and Joe Rogan and a lot of other great podcasters. And I was like, I think I could do this. I think it could be fun. And I might be able to bring something different to the table. Um, But that runway allowed me a bit of uh, flexibility in terms of saying, okay, I actually can cut off all freelance work and just put my head down and try as hard as I can. Now, there was a bit of a transition period where I'm still doing freelance work and I'm like finishing up some big client projects as I'm starting this podcast. But then once I decided that moment, I need to actually dedicate myself fully to this thing. Even though I had a runway of like a year, a year and a half of expenses or like bare minimum expenses, like paying off rent and stuff, I knew that I had to make it happen. And if I didn't, then I might have to go back to freelance. Not the worst thing in the world. I really enjoyed freelance, but I really wanted to make it happen as much as I could. So I, I just continued to push myself. And you know, those early, early days, I think you fear rejection. You fear people making fun of you or saying comments online. What I experienced was not that because nobody listened to it and nobody watched it. I didn't have the privilege of people hating on me then. Uh, but it, it like you kind of like flex that muscle and you learn about how to continually put stuff out there. And once I was dedicated to it full time, there was no excuses to not be consistent. So that was it. It was like every single week I released one podcast uh, and that was my main original platform. And then eventually I once I figured out kind of, oh, I'm a filmmaker, I should probably focus more on YouTube videos. Then I, that start, that's when like the audience really started to grow. Uh, But the podcast did grow a little bit. My strategy for growth in the beginning was like, let me try to find guests who are interesting, aligned with my values, but also have 
a decent sized audience that could bring people to me. Because when when you're in that famine position, when nobody's watching or listening, Mm -hmm. you're like, I got to do something. Like I need to find a way. And if I get somebody who has ten thousand, you know, followers on Instagram, and they share a really cool like clip that I made from the podcast, like that was an important aspect, creating something valuable that they could share themselves. And I know that's something that you guys do with your stuff too. It's just it's super valuable. I knew that. What if I got 10? You know what I mean? Even if like a thousand people saw it, 10 people go and download my podcast, that's 10 new listeners. That's and that's a hustle mindset in the very beginning where you're like, I, I need to do anything to try to, to try to grow. Um, so that helped out a lot. Like I had people like Rich Roll on the podcast who were just so generous to come on my, like a nobody's podcast. I'm like, yeah, yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. amazing that you would even do that. So that like, and then he shared it. And then I think that month I jumped from a thousand downloads a month to 7,000 in That's a month, awesome. which was just like mind blown. And yeah, like yeah, in yeah. those moments, you're like, this is unreal. Like this, yeah. it feels amazing. Cause you're like, finally, I've been working at this for eight months yeah. and now I'm starting to see some momentum. And then after that, I think it was like the real, real growth, right? When I'm going from just a couple thousand to like, you know, a million subscribers or more, that was over the course of a year when I started focusing on YouTube videos. Mm. And I think it came from experimenting, trial and error. Yeah. And I saw some videos online, people doing apartment tours. And I was like, oh, like I could do an apartment. Like I saw an apartment tour that had like a million views. And I was like, <laughs> like bro, I can make a better apartment yeah, tour video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, maybe I can add my humor to it. I can add some personality, the cinematography. Let me see what I can bring to this. So I made a video called My Minimalist Apartment. And it was the first video that I made that took off in a crazy way where within a couple of days it got 20,000 views. Wow. And it was just light bulb moment. I was like, okay. Like I've been, it was a year and a half up until that point yeah. and I was burning through my savings. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I gave myself a two-year rule. I was mm. like, I'm going to give myself two years all out, everything I can to make this happen. If I fail, then you know I'll figure out ways to make money. I'll do mm. freelance. Start shooting weddings if I have to, yeah, yeah. but I will. I will try to make this work the best I can. So that happened about a year and a half into it, and then I'm like, oh my god, like just big relief that I at least saw where I could take things, and that's when I started to focus more on. Let me get better at telling stories, creating videos for YouTube, creating almost eight to ten minute documentaries on YouTube every single week, and that was about probably. I mean, at this point about a year and a half ago when things really started to take off. That's awesome. Yeah. No, I, I love what I love about your journey is that is like all the work in the past culminated to the success in the present. Because a lot of times it reminds you of like that karate kid wax on, wax off thing, you know? <laughs> For so many years you're doing all these things and like in in our opinion, like nothing is paying off. And then eventually it's like through that process and through all the skill sets that you acquire, it, it allows you to create something that then begins to, you know, experience prominence and to be fruitful for you in this next season of your life. Yeah, progress is very hard to see sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Like especially when you're so close to it and every single day you're working and you're just editing, you've got your head down. And yeah, it was that, you know, you could look at that year and a half that I started out where nobody followed, or you could look at the past eight years where I was a filmmaker. And through all of those phases, it's hard to see progress. I mean, impossible to see progress day to day. But I think if you look over the course of like three months or six months, you start to see the growth. Um, and really, where I, I mean, and I want to say too, like, I think this is really important to say is that I didn't need a million subscribers to be happy. Like, I mean, and, Yes, I didn't even need 15,000, but my number in my head was, if I get 15,000 subscribers, that, that to me felt like a million. It felt like infinite numbers mm-hmm. yeah. of people. Yeah. And I'm like, that to me seems like enough number, uh, enough of a number that I could create original films full time. Yeah. And that's been my goal from the beginning. And I think that's like the goal of stand-up comedians, writers, everybody. They're like, if I can just make a living doing this, mm-hmm. if I can pay the bills as a creative, that's a dream for me. That's so true. as long as I can do that, uh, you know, if there's extra zeros in my bank account, like, cool, I can invest back in my videos, I can invest in people around me, I can hire more people to work with me. But at the end of the day, like, I'm super happy and content just to make videos every week. So you, so that 15,000 number was the, like, that moment where you felt like, I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied. Yeah, I mean, you have to, like, being completely honest, you have to remind yourself of that. Yeah. That's not something that, uh, is like, yeah, okay, once I pass that and then you're totally happy. Hedonic adaptation is this idea that 
no matter what, all the things that you get, you get a new car, you, you know, you, you buy like an amazing pack of cigars, you uh, get your new phone. And then the moment that you have those things and you indulge in them, it feels great, right? Mm-hmm. You have this like surge of happiness yeah, yeah, and yeah. like dopamine hit yeah. from getting that new thing. Yeah. But then as the weeks go on of owning that new car, it goes down to a steady median. Yeah. And there is something to say about like, uh, yeah, like I would be miserable if my car was breaking down every other day. And like, I have definitely had shitty cars in the past, a 1989 Mercury Cougar. Yeah. Or like God. the windows. A bro- Cougar. Dude. Oh That's man, I don't know if you, have you ever seen the car, dude? It looks like a boat. Like the <laughs> trunk is huge. It was velvet interior. <laughs> it did have a digital speedometer, which was always interesting. And I'm like, <laughs> it was like 1989. They were ahead of their time on that. Yeah, yeah. But it definitely wasn't a Tesla in, it, in any regard. But it like, so like the seat was broken where I had to have a cinder block in the, the back of the oh seat to God. hold up the front seat. Wow. Um, the windows were broken. This was like throughout college and, and yeah, probably like three or four years during college and I had this car in high school. The windows broke at one point to where in the middle of the winter, if I and my signals were broken too, I'd have to shimmy down the windows <laughs> to put my hand out the window in the middle of winter to let people know I was turning left or oh, I was turning right. Because uh, I was very safe, even though I had a <laughs> car. <laughs> I had to let people know where I was turning. Yeah. But I mean, that will make you miserable, I think. Like, I, and I, like it, it, it'll be a f- point of friction. But then having a, a nice, solid, reliable car, like a Toyota Camry, 1999 Toyota Camry or 2010, whatever it is, uh, having that car versus having a brand new Tesla, I, th- I don't think it's going to make you any more happier. Unless, of course, you're a car enthusiast yeah. and that's really what you're into. But eventually with hedonic adaptation, it's always going to go back to that median. And that's what I experienced with, um, with subscribers, right? And like you can get in that growth mindset where... And actually, I did. So even though I passed fifteen thousand, I'm looking at the numbers every day because it's it's incredibly exciting. And I think that I'd be lying to say that it wasn't like really cool to see every single day. But oh my god, a thousand today! Yeah. Like I used to get. I have a video of myself talking about when my subscribers went up three hundred. I think in a day, and it was the first big bump I ever had on the YouTube channel. Oh wow! And I was like, this is unreal. Like three hundred. Yeah. I mean, that was like all my Twitter followers at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. like in comparison, it was unreal. And then getting to a point then where you're like a thousand every day, you just look at that number and then you feel like, and then if it goes down, if it drops to 500, then you're upset mm-hmm. and you're like, what the hell? Yeah, like this, yeah, yeah. that used to be everything. Yeah, I used to be yeah. so excited and yeah. grateful for that. Mm-hmm. So it's a reminder. And now I'm at a very good place where I don't look at numbers too much. It's still like really cool to drop a video and like get a million views in a couple of days. Like it still blows my fucking mind yeah, that that happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm still crazy grateful but I don't need it in order to be happy. Gotcha. I think that's very important. And this is like kind of like a business question, so mm-hmm. we, this doesn't have to be on the podcast. Um, <laughs> when you when you made the decision to do straight YouTube videos, was it because it's more of the passion doing the documentary stuff and filmmaking stuff, or you saw that the podcast game is extremely hard and doing all this work it may not be worth it at the end? I would say that podcasting it's very difficult for discoverability, especially if you're just doing audio. Mm-hmm. And I had done the podcast and I had done, done video with it. And I like the whole idea was I could, you know, share the full video on YouTube and I could cut away excerpts for people to share on Instagram. But I wasn't really seeing any growth. And I think it's like it is a very difficult medium to break through in, uh, mainly because of that discoverability. And you have to you have to just continually experiment. And I had done it for over a year. And while the, the podcast was growing, it wasn't growing in a way that was going to be able to make a full-time living and career out of it. And that's when I, I just started experimenting with YouTube videos. And that's when I realized that you, if you really want to stand out, you do have to do something different. And this is something I continually think about where I have taken a two-month hiatus from my podcast, mainly because I'm just thinking in my head, like for one, like I just don't have the time right now working on a future doc. But mainly I'm just thinking about, okay, what can I uniquely bring to the world? What can I do that nobody else can do? It's not talking to a microphone. It's not a podcast. As much as I enjoy it and I, and I think it's fun and I love learning from new people, I think I can provide something totally unique and different to filmmaking on YouTube. Uh, so that's why I put all my energy into that. And that's why I, if I'm going to drop anything, at least for now, it's going to be the podcast in favor of the YouTube channel. And also, like, obviously, if you're just looking at the numbers, like, uh, my podcast maybe gets around 
you know, 50 to 60,000 downloads per episode. And then if I put out a video, it may get, you know, 500,000 to a million. So it's like, you, you have to think about where you're putting all your energy. And if I'm spending half of all of my time on my podcast, it's probably too much effort for the return that I'm getting on it. Gotcha. So I think it's like about, it's like a lot of things, right? Yeah, and it, yeah. Like, obviously I love filmmaking too. Yeah. And yeah. I do like love the craft of filmmaking way more than I love uh, the craft of making podcasts. So I think you like it's never just one thing. It's probably those three or four things that made that decision for me. No, that's an, that's a great question, Chris. Because literally, that's where we were at. And it, like I said, it's so funny. Like really finding you was such a breath of fresh air because it was something in which we were going through a very similar journey that you're going through that we didn't even know it. So in a very similar fashion, the number one like we did we did our podcast for. Like a year and a half mm-hmm. before we put it on YouTube. Yeah. Mm. So we did our podcast for a year and a half, and everybody was telling me to put it on YouTube. Like YouTube, YouTube, YouTube. They were like, everyone's like really enforcing it. But at that time, for some reason, I just didn't believe in YouTube. As, I don't know why. I just didn't yeah. believe in YouTube as much. Um, even though, like I said, I had that filmmaking background, I'll put my shorts on YouTube, but just not a lot of. For some reason, I didn't believe in YouTube. Yeah. And then it wasn't until um, one of our guests came on the show, and they were like put this episode on YouTube. And I was like, yeah, of course. That's what I was telling him. <laughs> and, yeah, sure. and in my mind, I was like, well, I'm not going into YouTube until like the end of, until next year. He came on the show and he said, this episode's going to be on YouTube. Watch it right now, which forced me to put it on YouTube. Uh, and literally the first video we put on YouTube in like one month, it got like over a hundred thousand views. Wow. Yeah. So, that's wild. Yeah. That's so, that aha moment, yeah, right? So it was like, oh my gosh, YouTube. And so then we transitioned to podcast audio and video. But then I just started realizing that all the work we were putting into the podcast to communicate a message, it was like we're doing all this work and spending hundreds of dollars to travel the country just to put out content that wasn't really getting the returns that we wanted. And being a filmmaker, myself, is like, I can so much easier put out this message in a simpler fashion, and, and I can experience more happiness because I'm going to depend upon guests and assistants and you know travel plans and all that stuff. And so that's when we started transitioning to doing now individual YouTube videos and then potentially going back to doing feature, I mean, feature shorts and different things like that. So I just think like what you described is so real because podcast discoverability is a challenge. Like, sure. like d- besides a new and noteworthy page on iTunes, like there's not much places where you can get new content pop up on your podcast feed the way you can on YouTube. Yeah, so I think it's just really dope that like you had that same experience. Completely. I mean, it, it's it's hard. I don't think there's much that you can do with a podcast episode to elevate the visibility besides getting a big guess. But even then, like the discoverability is going to be kind of tough, right? It's not like it. Po- there's no feed that people are browsing through yeah, and looking exactly. for podcasts, but it's so easy to just be on YouTube and just be browsing. And like, shit, I was doing it this morning where I'm just like, like you know, what I mean? and like, I try yeah. not to do it, but like the first 30 minutes of my day, it's just like, uh, like I went to YouTube and then I'm on the homepage and then I click on three videos because when you go to the homepage, they're offering up you trending videos, new videos. And the way that those videos get there are by, I mean, one, really good content, mm-hmm. uh, and then two, backing it up with an interesting, clickable title and thumbnail. Yeah. And like those things that y- you really have control over creating uh, can expose you to more people. Yeah. So while in the past I think I was maybe resistant to, I wouldn't say playing a game, but like putting a lot of effort into a title and thumbnail because I'm an artist and yeah, my yeah, videos yeah, yeah, need yeah, to be yeah, elevated. Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah. no, screw that. Like, I really want to help people and I really want my videos to be seen by people. So I should really think about title and the thumbnail. Make sure it's accurate. Like, yeah. this is not saying that they're going to be clickbait. And there's a lot of debate now about what clickbait is. And yeah. I think it's uh, really like, for the most part, you have to decide for yourself what you're okay with just as the, the, the content that you're creating. You have to make sure it fits with your values and morals and all that. Um, I think it's it's super valuable to be creating on YouTube today. I, I'm it's it's kind of amazing if you think about it, right? Yeah. Because like YouTube's been around forever, mm-hmm. like over ten years, and it's still like it's one of the fastest growing social media channels. That's true. I love what you guys are doing too. So you're starting to do less. I like you're doing the podcast, but I saw that you're also like doing actual sit down videos. Yeah, and yeah, talking yeah. That stuff. So that, so like I said, that was. Because I, I think I got to the point where it was, um, one, I realized that 
I think I could be better at YouTube than I could be at podcasting, in my mm-hmm. personal opinion. Because we traditionally, with our show, we always say it's not an interview, it's a discussion. So we like to not only bounce ideas, hear someone today, but we like to kind of share our ideas as well. And then it got to a point where it's like, like you, like you know it. Like if, I, like I brought, we brought Gary V on. He's been on the show. He's been mm-hmm. on our show. Gary V comes on the show. So Gary V fans come because they see Gary V is mm-hmm. on the show and they like want to go see it. And then the percentage of those fans really converting and becoming your fans, if you're lucky, let's say it's one percent, right? So your video yeah. does. 10,000 views and 1% of those fans convert, so we have 100 new fans. And so for me, it was looking at that and then saying, okay, but if I do a video of just myself and let's say it does 5,000 views, but 50% of those people love me on that video and they convert, right now it turns to 2,500 new fans. So it mm. was like a sense of seeing that in regards to brand awareness, if, like you said, if your content is good enough, and that's, and that's the thing what yeah. I love about you is that your content is good enough. And we obviously have a lot of room to grow for hours, but if your content is good enough, when they see it, they will, they will like it. And then having that like decent baseline subscriber count helps, you know, because you're able to now generate at least some views initially from your videos versus starting from ground zero with yeah. zero subscribers. And I think if you're putting out content that's not good, but it's got a clickable uh, title and thumbnail, you're not going to get subscribers. People are going to watch your video and be like, oh, this guy's a dick. (laughs) Like you're going to, again, get those really small returns. You're going to get maybe less than 1% of people who subscribe or like it or whatever, and it's probably going to be a bot anyway. Mm -hmm. But that's why you can't just game the system and just like have really creative, flashy titles and thumbnails. You actually have to back it up with really good content. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what you'll find. People who do that, who focus on uh, not... Uh, quantity, but the quality of the videos that they're making, the per view subscriber rate is going to go through the roof. And like, so if you get a video that has 10,000 views, but they're quality views and your, the content is amazing, you're going to see a good percentage of those people without you even asking to them to subscribe. And like, I could probably count on one hand how many times I've asked people to subscribe to my channel. I just don't do it. It's like one of those like old school, like YouTube things, like the smash the like button and subscribe and do all that. And it's like people, I mean, enough people are doing saying that out there that I don't need to because they just know that that's what you should be uh, doing if you really like something. But my belief is that if you create something good enough, you don't need to ask people to follow you. They're going to do it no matter what. I used to take people's phones and do it myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Doesn't hurt. <laughs> sure, you know me, iTunes reviews I wrote for myself. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. That's so oh, funny. Man, that's, that's funny. Oh, man. But, uh, but no, I, 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 I really liked it. I really liked just, you know, constantly creating, constantly growing. So for you, do you want to stay in the documentary world? Do you want to do feature films? Like, what is, what is the big picture vision for you? I think... It's always about pushing yourself to do things you're uncomfortable with. Yeah. And I recently got an opportunity to for a speaking engagement, uh, which is like, I think the audience was something like 3,000 people. That's awesome. It's crazy. I mean, I just, I've never done like a talk. I mean, I've done a few Q&As, but yeah, 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 <laughs> like, I haven't actually put together a talk yeah, and like, yeah. and like that scares the shit out of me. And I was like, ah, do I want to do it? No, I actually really, I don't want to do it. But then my wife asked me, she's like, would you be proud of yourself if you mm. did it? And I was like, yes, I would. <laughs> so well, that was what pushed me over the, the edge to do it. So that's going to be like next year, I'm going to start doing more talks and I'm you know, starting to open myself up to do more of that. Uh, starting to hire more people to help out with editing videos, shooting. Um, I'm going to be bringing my brother on next year who's going to be doing dope. a lot of business management, which is like, that to me is like, one of the coolest things I've, I'm ever going to be able to do is to hire my brother. It's something like, like I get emotional even thinking about it. Because like, older or younger, he's my older brother. Oh, yeah, dumb. and like he's been in the. I mean, I don't know. This, I don't think that his like his <laughs> his, 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 his employers watching this yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't be good. But uh, I have a big family, so I have six brothers and sisters. So oh, they'll, dope. They'll, maybe they'll think it's one or the other. One. <laughs> but anyway, like I mean, that's just something. Just I've been so close with my brother over the years and like one of my best friends and I'm like to be able to work and collaborate with him every day is something I'm I'm really excited about. And that's one of the coolest things about building an audience and a business is like you can surround yourself with people that you really care about, people who care about the mission that you're trying to create. So that's what I'm trying to do more of. I mean, feature documentaries, probably. Yeah. Like we're in works with Netflix right now to create another one, which should be out next year. 
And then on top of that, I'm like, yeah, it might be cool to do the style of YouTube videos I make, but then, because this documentary we're making next doesn't have my voice in it, my image in it. And I'm like, maybe I can make something like even a series or like a, a, a film where it's my voice, my personality in it, almost like like Matt Diavella, the movie. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> I mean, we'll see how, how it works out, but like I'm open to any of those experiences and opportunities. And I think the cool thing is I don't have to wait for anybody to give me permission to do it. Like everything I've done, if I want to make a movie, I'll just make it and I can fund it myself now. And I can, if I have to, I can shoot and edit the entire thing myself. So I think that's one of the biggest things that you can learn as an independent creative is just take ownership and responsibility over the work that you create and don't outsource everything from the beginning. Mm. I'm so inspired. Man. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, man. I'm so inspired, yeah. man. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm serious, man. Like, it's, it's so cool seeing. Somebody just literally come from where you came from to where you are now, and you have complete control. You can do it all. I mean, it's it's truly, truly inspiring, man. I'm just yeah. thanks, Thank man. You. That really means a lot. I'm yeah. serious, man. I'm serious, man. It's really cool because we work hard. Yeah, you know, we we drive a lot, we travel a lot, we're on tour. I mean, we we do all these things. I'm just like, man, fees. All this work we're doing, I hope there's a light at the end of the tunnel, yeah. you know, and we constantly think and just, you know, work and, and freaking get angry and vent at each other all yeah, the time. Man. I'm like, man, it's so good to see, you know, hard work pays off. Um, and we just want to make sure that, you know, we get there at the same time. Thank you, man. I love yeah. it. And like I said before the show, I mean, the fact that you guys have each other is so valuable. It's something that I've learned more and more the longer I've done this because, the journey can be very lonely when you're by yourself. And I think, you know, uh, you know, having a support system, even though like I've been kind of in the weeds by myself editing and shooting all this stuff, uh, I still have like the support system of my family and friends to, to lean on. And like the mentors, and you start to meet other people like each other where we can like talk to each other when we're having trouble, get ideas and inspiration from each other. Like we can't do this alone. There's no yeah. way that you can do it alone. So I think having, um, like trying to open yourself up and to connect with other people is something you have to bring into your day if you're not doing it already. I love that. So let's say there's somebody right now who's an aspiring podcaster, aspiring YouTuber, aspiring filmmaker, and right now they're, they're wanting to get started. They heard your message. They're inspired. They want to get started. What would you say are a few things that come to your mind that you feel as though if you want to get started off in the right foot and be successful, these things you have to either take care of, these things you have to do, or these things you have to prioritize mm. in, on your journey? So I'm pretty conservative, not politically, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not that we're going to go there. Yeah. But uh, I'm pretty conservative when it comes to like my finances and then the decisions that I make with my money and, and my future, which relates to my business. So when I'm thinking about making a transition from freelance or like say like from um, whether I'm like, am I going to get a full-time job or am I going to go freelance? Am I going to go freelance to creating original films, original films to hiring people and doing all these things? I want to make sure that I'm not taking too many risks that I end up right back where I started. Calculated risk. Yeah, calculated risk, 100%. So for me, when I made the transition from freelance to original content, I had a runway, like I said, and I had done well as a freelance filmmaker. So I'd say like, if you want to get into like freelance and filmmaking and all that, I definitely encourage people to try to start by doing client work. I think like you're going to learn and you're going to grow a lot, whether you're doing wedding films or bar mitzvahs. Nothing, you shouldn't be good at, too good to do anything. You should mm -hmm. be able to do those things, learn skills as a filmmaker, make money, pay the bills, and then when the timing is right, when you, you've found success in that, you can transition to original content like I did. That's like what I would recommend people do. That's what I was comfortable doing. I know there are people that follow a totally different path that say like, fuck it, I'm gonna go full-time original content right from the beginning, and it works out. So take that with a grain of salt. But uh, I'm definitely like more conservative with, with taking those risks. So once I had that runway built up and I could make the effort to do it, it was taking the skills that I had and continue, not taking anything for granted, not thinking like I know everything and knowing that I actually had a ton to learn. It's, it's mm. a hard mindset to get in, especially when we're young. We think that we know everything and we think we have something unique to offer. But I think 
always uh, pouring yourself into learning more. So whether it's like reading books, like I read so much Seth Godin, Tim Ferriss, like as many self-help books, Tony Robbins, audio books, whatever it was, like I absorbed it. And those were my mentors early on and that guided my direction. So like that was hugely important for me to have that foundation of knowing where to go and having the direction and the help to get there. And also knowing that it was possible. Like just when you hear so many people say, it's possible, I did it, it's possible, Mm -hmm. I did it. Uh, You start to believe it yourself. And then consistency is just showing up and and like being committed to the goals that you set for yourself. Uh, It comes at a cost, a cost of letting yourself down because life always is gonna get in the way. And that's something that I always deal with and I continue to deal with is that I might let myself down because I've set such high expectations for the kind of content I'm going to produce. And it's something that I'm getting better at like dealing with anxiety. So being able to go on vacation and not get stressed out that I'm not going to upload a video for two weeks Mm -hmm. because I had set that bar so high for myself and that commitment to myself to stay consistent that when I don't, I feel like I'm like lying to myself. I'm letting myself down. Uh, so it's going to be a real battle. It's not going to be easy. But if you continue to show up like every every day, if you continue to show up every week, taking weekends off and you know what I mean, spending yeah, time yeah. with your family, spending time for your well-being and balancing it out. Um, I don't think there's any guarantees that it will work out for everybody. But that's why I'm saying like if you've got that foundation of freelance, if you've got the foundation of knowing how to make money, uh, you'll be able to find happiness and contentment with it for sure. Beautiful, beautiful. I like that. No, I think um, I have an idea. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I always have these ideas. I don't know if it's a video. I don't know if it's a book. I don't know if it's a documentary. But I know the title is Results May Vary. Mm. Because I think what you see in the world of creatives, business, entrepreneurs is that you look at people's end goals and their end destinations and everyone has a different pathway, yeah. you know? And so you have the Gary V's. You're like, you know, eat shit, 20%. You, know I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. have those guys, you know? And then you have, and so everybody thinks, okay, if I just do what they did, yeah. I will end up here. And one thing that I've learned is that, man, like results may vary, right? There's people who did exactly, who had the same story as Gary, but mm-hmm. didn't, end up with those same results. And so the beauty of creating is that since the results may vary, that's not what your joy can be founded upon. Mm. And that's what I love so much about what you're talking about right now of finding, you know, wife, family, friends, you know, being able to make stuff. You find so much peace and joy in that, that regardless of the end destination from your creative work, you're still able to be happy and live your life at the end of the day because you just can't control the results. And that's probably the next thing for, in the next season of the show for me is that, like really relinquishing that. Cause I've been, I've, we've been suffocated by that, you know, mm-hmm. like we really have been suffocated by that, um, by the results and just really realizing that many results may vary, but to be able to find peace in the midst of the results, I think is one of the best ways forward, you know, in regards to being a creative and building the dreams that you want. Dude, I love it. And yeah. you have to measure success based on your effort, not on, on what comes out of it. Um, and also be willing to adapt and change things if it's not working. Because I think that's like the only way you're going to be able to find your lane and your path. And I love that you mentioned Gary Vee. I feel like he's America's football coach. Like, uh, yeah, like, yeah. Like, he, so inspiring. And yeah. like, he pushes me yeah, to I do shit him. that I'm uncomfortable with. Yeah. Uh, but I might not want to bring the football coach home to dinner. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like yeah, there's yeah. a balance. There's a time and place for it. And like he drives me and pushes me like nobody else when it comes to my business and creativity. But then, I, you know, we have other sources of inspiration and, uh, to balance that out when it comes to being like, well, maybe I should be focusing more on my well-being. Not to say that he doesn't because I know he certainly uh, is pretty balanced in his message. But the, the results are going to vary. Like, right, uh, Gary V is going to have a completely different trajectory than you guys or I am. Yeah. And our businesses are going to, only go where we take them, and the only way we can find that out is if we just get started. Yeah. Because sometimes we get so caught up in thinking about where we're going to be. And I yeah. know that I used to get, um, when I was uh, dating, like I would get so caught up on the opening line. What do I say to this girl? How do I approach her? Like, How do I get her to think I'm interesting? And then, um, But I'm also thinking like, 
10 steps ahead. I'm thinking like, okay, then like, am I going to actually have anything to talk about? Like, am I going to just run out of things to say? I'm not that interesting. And it's like, just focus on the first thing first. Just say hi and then see where it goes. It's going to sound stupid. You're going to make a fool of yourself. It's totally okay. You're going to learn and you're going to grow and you're going to get better. Um, But you can't worry about the fact that you may run out of things to say, yeah. to, and then you'll never start the conversation to begin with. Yeah, I Gotta love take that. a step, man. Yeah. Gotta take a step. I love that. Feed. Any, any other things you got? <laughs> no, man. I'm I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm so I'm so happy. So, in closing, um, is there any message you want to leave the audience with? You know, for that you've learned something that's that's been on your mind recently. Anything that you just kind of wanted to share? Man, I think it's. Try to find balance. So if you dedicate yourself too much to one thing for too long, it can get draining. And today more people are talking about burnout than ever. And it's very easy to just run straight into a wall. And I think you should always make time for your well-being, your mental health, uh, whether that's taking time to meditate every day, 10 minutes, taking 30 minutes to go outside for a jog, a walk, exercise, those things you shouldn't ignore. And that's something that everybody should be focusing and putting a priority on. It's something that I'm trying to get better at every day. And I'm proud of the work I've done over the past year to two years when it comes to not only putting myself into my business, but being able to be okay with not maximizing growth, output, and productivity at every single turn. And saying that, you know what, actually, if I take if I stop work at five o'clock today, if I take a longer lunch, if I go to the gym today for two hours and just have a whole big chunk of uh, quote unquote unproductive time, it's actually the most productive thing I can be doing for my life. So try to find that balance. I love that. I love that. So Matt, where can the people find you at? Yeah, I would say if you've never heard of me or my videos, just search my name on YouTube, Matt Diavella and just Matt D. Avella. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's kind of hard to spell, but I think, yeah, yeah you, if you just do Matt D YouTube, you might be able to find it. <laughs> Sounds good. Hopefully. <laughs> so They're going to find it. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be Matt Bragg. Yeah. Nothing, nothing but Matt Damon is going to yeah. show up. Yeah. <laughs> Ruining my SEO. SEO. <laughs> so guys, make sure you reach out to Matt. Let him know what about the podcast stood out to you or really benefited you, what you guys enjoy. My name is Afiz. Chris start the show, baby. And we are joined by... Guys, Matt D Avella. Thank you so much. And we are the roommates and... Adios. Adios.